think of a client who hasn't been surprised, but it's like, we have that capability. It's like, <laughs> not only do you have that capability, you have it across three different solutions. Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the Rockstar CMO FA Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 1st of July. I hope you had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but with this podcast, I want to share the marketing street knowledge that I've picked up on my journey from techie to CMO with the help of some true rock stars, my guests and chums, who I hope will inspire the marketing rock star in you. You can find links to me, the guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our street knowledge blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark turns the tables on me as we discuss marketing personas. I welcome back Cathy McKnight, Chief Problem Solver at the Content Advisory, to talk about the hot marketing technology word of 2023, composability. And we wind down the week with my chum, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail and a marketing course. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. All right, it's time to drop by the marketing studio and join my chum, Jeff Clark, a former Forrester Research Director and our resident Rockstar CMO Strategy Advisor. And welcome into the studio. Thank you very much, Jeff. How are you, mate? I am doing. Uh, I'm doing well. It's. I'm enjoying uh, some of the, our summer weather, and uh, it is summer at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. And uh, how about yeah. you? Um, I'm afraid that here it is the the worst of both worlds, as far as I'm concerned, with weather. It is grey and humid, and to me. If it's going to be humid, I like the sun. And if it's going to be grey, well, bloody well rain. <laughs> <laughs> Make up your bloody mind. I remember when so, I yes. uh, when I had my brief stint uh, working in Reading in the UK, and I went over on July fifth, and yeah. uh, and it was nice, warm, sunny weather here in New England. And then in England, I think I was subjected to like two weeks of rain <laughs> and cold, and I, the sun would come out, and I would like go out to a park with a book and then i would be like it's gonna rain (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we've got one of those days where the word i don't like i like it when we have weather and that's what i like about living in the on the east coast always something happening whereas this is like that non-weather where it's just gray and nothing's happening anyway okay so so anyway (laughs) it's we're doing another one where i turn or we turn the tables and uh Uh And I set you up to uh, talk about one of your favorite topics. 
Yeah. So, and, uh, and it's actually one of our favorite topics that we're returning to the topic of personas, the, mm-hmm. those handy little, uh, handles that uh, describe people that we're marketing to and selling to and kind of abstract the information into a nice package. Um, and as we've discussed in past episodes, personas are really like key building blocks for campaign strategies and content strategies. So, um, but today, I think you're going to take us through some steps and how to actually yes. build the persona. So, so what <laughs> what say you about that? <laughs> I like that. I get the what say you. That's cool. Um, well, and as you know, as we were preparing for this, I was just going to launch into what are the five person standard personas that I would use building, you know, B two B messaging, and then thought, and then we were going to do a little preamble of how you come up with those and. The preamble turned into the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so that's where we are at the moment. So what I so um and this and what we're going to do is we're going to focus. I just want to make it clear to the listeners. We're going to focus on just the buyer persona. So this isn't about discovering the user personas, right? Right. That's where we're at with this, Jeff. Yeah, and 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 uh, as we were discussing earlier, the whole Mm. concept of personas started with you know developers looking at user personas and. and then the marketers that were hanging around with the developers said, wow, that's a, that's a great way for us to <laughs> figure out who the hell we're marketing to. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but I think it's important to make a distinction because I've seen a number of persona projects where they call yep. I mean, and you start, when you start speak, talking about user needs, you've wandered right off of what it is that you need. And yep. actually, I wrote a blog post about it recently, which is that you're, you're building for users and you're marketing to buyers, right? So that's the two different personas we need to focus on. Um, so, and one of the things I also wanted to mention to you, Jeff, and get your opinion on, because I think it's interesting me sitting in the chair when you've got all this experience from Serious Decisions and Forrester, but I tend to work based on needs, right? So what I do is I, I try and ignore job titles or attributes that aren't relevant. You know, do we don't, probably don't need to know the sex, the gender of somebody and that kind of stuff. And I try and keep the needs at a level of not feature functions. So they need to be able to complete a function. It's more about what is it they need to achieve that day or what their emotional needs are? Um, and then look at the buyer journey. But I'll go through the process. Is that the sort of approach that you guys would take at Forrester yep. and Serious Decisions? Absolutely. And and yeah. um, we would kind of break the concept of needs into um, in this kind of several layers. And certainly the, the top layer is the, the organizational needs. So it's like always, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the person who's either the, the champion or whatever, you know, they have particular needs um you know but it's like they're doing that in service of the organization so you think about the organization needs you think about the persona the needs of that individual persona and and those needs can also kind of break down into what they're trying to accomplish like you said what are you trying to accomplish today also you know what are they trying to accomplish in their in their career they have they have kind of needs outside of that specific purchasing uh you know engagement Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's that emotional part of a B2B sale, I always think. I think yes. you're, you're thinking about those needs. Yeah. So, so um, yes. you want to take us through the steps? <laughs> I know you're, you're getting ready to, to be going to back into the driver's seat. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at this yet. So, all right. So my first one, <laughs> I think if we've done, what have we done? I mean, I know that you haven't been on every single episode of the show, but we've done this over 150, 150 times. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. well, and actually, I need to ask you, how many effing steps do you have here? 
Oh, of course, you know better than that, Jeff. I've got five Evan steps. So <laughs> I I know our editorial policy, even if some people tend to not know what that is. So my first effing step is to understand the needs, as we were just discussing, along the buyer process or the customer journey. And like where somebody sits in that. So what, you know, it's not all about kumbaya like we are appealing to our users needs yes we need to do that in our content absolutely but i think we also need to understand how what role that persona plays in the buying journey as we want it to be mapped out right so i think um you know and and, and what do they need to achieve at that point so when i think about that is you know at, in the at the and I quite liked, did you, I, mean, I assume you listened to last week's show. So last week's show, Robert was talking about, I mean, we can apply all sorts of different customer journeys and we talked about those on this show, but he was talking about these sort of three main um, um, aspects of what's happening with the, with the buyer as they're consuming your content. The first one is inspiration. How do we inspire people to act? The next one is implication. What do they need to understand to make the change? So they're still considering the change at that point. And then initiation, how do they make the change? So what happens when they do make the purchase or they do engage with us, right? So it's really mapping that out and mapping out what our particular, what, uh, what, who it is that we're interacting with in that business, what their needs are along that role so mm. that we can, uh, we can do that. And who has those needs? So who do we need to inspire within that business uh, to 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 want to make the change that we can help with our business with our service or solution, and then what do they need in order to move the ball forward? Does that make any sense? Yeah, that, that makes uh, total sense, and I, I couldn't say otherwise. Um, but, I'm not used to sitting in the chair. <laughs> I like I like the three eyes that are within the five yeah, effing yeah. steps, and uh, and it is you know as as I was talking earlier about you know there's the organizational need, and then there's the persona, or there's yeah. the the need of the individual who's well, the various individuals that are involved in in the decision making process, mm-hmm. um, but it is it to me this is where you know the the as we would always call the champion, so the person who's yeah. kind of pushing the process, they're the yes. one through the inspiration, implication, initiation that yeah. really is like targeted at that that individual that persona. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you were talking about just now about um, persona needs and organization needs, I'd actually refer back to the last couple of, um, well, certainly last episode when we were talking about ICP, I think that we're, you're going to need to know something about what the general goals of that organization are that will form that sort of, that the context of the needs of that, of the person you're targeting in there, yep. right? So if absolutely. this is, um, and I also, also when, when I, I mean, we'll get onto this in a second but also when we're looking at need we're looking at things like management of risk and things like that so um and that can be industry specific so i think some of that comes from your icp so what is step number two we've talked about at the very beginning Mm. just understanding the people who are in the buying process and now what's number two Number two is, uh, I think I've said needs about a billion times already. It's I, I define my, those I needs. got my needs counter in my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's to define those needs. So what, So we've sort of, we've mapped out the bit of the journey and we've mapped out who's going to play those roles. But what do they need to move this forward and what do they need it for them? So why is it that they, they need to make a change? Um, what... Um, what what what's the biggest because you know one of the things is we often talk about in b2b tech is that one of our biggest competitors is do nothing 
So what do they need to actually do something to actually move it forward? And a lot of time when we talk about that, we're talking about creating pain or, you know, um, re-engineering their vision and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes the reason why they don't do anything, it's about risk. So the yep. fear of fucking up, which I've written about in the past. Fofu. Fofu, yeah. So is that the thing that is that their biggest need? So I would imagine if you're create, you know, when you create the persona of the executive decision maker, Fofu is probably the biggest need they have. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, that's the issue. That's one thing then, I've heard referred to those people. <laughs> and then, well, then what, what I also find is then, and this is why I think you need to cluster your persona around needs rather than job title, is who has these common needs across different roles. So you may have a risk of a CFO and a risk of a CIO, and they may have very similar needs in this particular instance of what you're selling. It doesn't matter whether the CEO or the CFO, they need the same data from you, perhaps, or the same content, or they have those same needs. So that's that's kind of like defining the needs and then clustering the persona around those needs. Yeah, and I would assume that in, in some cases, particularly if you're marketing and selling to large organizations, that yeah. you'll you potentially have multiple, once you've wrapped that around a need, then you yeah. may have multiple people from a title or even a department perspective that, yeah. that, you know, would, that would appeal to, you know, like you take something you're out there to improve customer experience and it's like, okay, my, if I, if I define that, that particular need and a persona around that, that person might be in marketing, they might be in customer service, they might be in a customer experience, you know, yeah. you know group, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And 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 so that though so that's that stage of defining the needs. So we've we understand the people, we've defined the needs, those are yes. the first two steps. What is step number three? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure what was coming then, because you put a question in the notes that you didn't ask. But anyway <laughs> I know I asked a, I asked a different question. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes wonder why we rehearse. All right, so um <laughs> you, then you detail how you can help them. So what are, so you can see that we're sort of building a bit of a matrix. Okay, so what are these people's needs? Now how can we actually help them with that need? And it may be well, it should be, beyond explaining the products and the price, but maybe help them with what that need is at that point. So it may be that your sponsor, for example, has never bought a piece of software or written a, um, you know, has, has tried to procure services or, or or followed a procurement process before in their life. This is their first rodeo on that. But obviously it's your first one today, you know. So, <laughs> you know, so, so it might be that you can help them with some of the adjacent topics about how they can move this forward, how they make a business case and how they do those things. And it may be beyond just explaining the product at the price. So for each persona, review those needs and then move forward. And then we were talking about risk. How do you, man- how do you help somebody who has that high fear of risk, that high fofu? And then what content, what research, what case studies, et cetera, can help them with that? It may not be the obvious. It may not just, oh, our features and functions are better than the other, are better than the competitor because of X, Y, and Z. It may be this will help you with your job because of these outcomes that you'll see and look at this case study that proves it and look at these financial spreadsheets, et cetera, whatever it is. I, I imagine this is a step where referring back to one of our other Actually, our, our highest level of the five fundamentals of, of doing good research yes. is absolutely essential because how do you know 
uh, how you can help somebody. You can't you can't just assume that everyone's going to show up on a webcast or a, you know read a white paper. I yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think what's interesting sometimes is that it, it, useful content produced by vendors is surprisingly useful for customers. And I know that that might sound an odd statement, but you'd think that okay, an ROI calculator produced by a vendor. They may you, you, the cynic in you says, well, who would who would use an ROI calculator made by a vendor? Clearly, we know the answer, right? <laughs> but you know, there's su- such a dearth of that kind of information when when somebody is trying to make a buying decision, they'll take it from they'll take it from you, and they'll take that advice. Oh from yeah. You. And so RFP templates, ROI calculators, all that good stuff. They, um, you know, that stuff is is what I'm talking about in terms of the research and how you can support. Um, that that particular buyer, absolutely. So we've uh, identified the buyer, we defined the needs, we defined how we're going to help yes. them. So how we're going to say, "You've got the need, we got the solution." <laughs> here we're here yes. to help. What is number four? Well, number four is I know at the beginning I said let's ignore job titles for now, right? So we want to identify needs, cluster these personas around needs, but. We need to think about how are we going to address these folks? How are we going to find them? How are we going to find them in campaigns? Who is it that we need to talk to at conferences, etc.? So understand the job titles of these kinds of people in your industry. And it may be not obvious. It may not be always, oh, we sell to the CMO. But of course, the CMO yeah. is merely probably the buyer. The sponsor is going to be somebody lower in that organization that you need to enable. Yes, made, made that mistake. <laughs> we, we were both in the same organization making that very yeah, mistake. Same conference were making that mistake. <laughs> so I think that, um, so, what, so what I'm saying is we need to understand. So, that, so we need to make that real. And the other thing is, is we can't get carried away with the job totals. We need to make sure that we're, um, otherwise, you end up with 25 bloody personas and nobody can work with that number. You want to keep it tight to around five or six personas, and but you want the multiple job titles and understand the fact that these people may look like a diverse group of people, but they're bonded by need, right? So we need to look at the... I like bonded by need. <laughs> um, so I'll ask an operational question, being an operational kind of guy is, is uh, you know, so how do you, what's the best way of capturing titles because this can be obviously you, you, mm. you, know, you can go to a database yeah. and let's say give me all the yeah. directors of it and stuff like that but yeah. but you know when you're when you're trying to like you know in through in, in intent marketing yeah. or on your website and you're trying to trying to understand who's looking at things and when, when can i actually say i think i have somebody who's in the right title range for this persona yeah. um are you saying how do we capture the best titles for each of the personas or how do we find them once we run our campaigns? It's actually, it's probably a little bit mm. of both, but, you know, I guess I was initially thinking from the, the capture right. perspective so, is that, I've, you know, people filling in forms, yeah, people right. coming to uh, events and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you, when do you start really I focusing think. in on this? this well, title I think part? that, you know, we were just, just talking about selling to the CMO, right? What's going to tell you that you're not selling to CMO? It's going to be your CRM, right? It's going to be who is it that genuinely salespeople are engaging with on a day-to-day basis? Who's in your CRM? And are they the people you thought they were, right? And that's because I think when we as marketers sit in our little ivory tower or our, our um, a conference room with our whiteboard inventing this shit, 
actually, who is it in the CRM that's this real person, right? So I would say that's how you need to capture the titles of who you're genuinely selling to. And I think you need to review those titles and think, actually, do we need to go up the chain a little bit better? Is there a, is there a case that we need to actually engage a broader audience within our, our base? So don't, we shouldn't just, just because we do doesn't mean we should, right? So that, that's, that's that. But yes, so I would do that for yeah. capturing what titles you genuinely sell to. And then how do you actually find those people? Well, um, you know, that's the wonderful thing about LinkedIn and, and various tools like that, right? It's, it's easy. <laughs> you know, and that's probably why you need, the, you need the ICP and the job titles is because then you can start finding people through tools like LinkedIn. Yep. So we've, we've, uh, we're, we're about to make our yes. last step in, the, in our 5FN steps. So we understand who's in the buying process along the yeah. journey defining their needs, detail how you can help them uh, in their yeah. journey, understand the job titles that kind of relate yeah. to the, this abstract concept of personas. Yeah. So what is our final step? The final step is very much related to what I just was talking about, is you identify a real-world example. You need to prove out this hypothesis that you have as a marketing team that this is our champion or this is our um, sponsor or this is our executive decision maker or this is the person with the budget. Make sure that you know that's true by finding a real person that you can test. And if they're a real friendly, you can also test various other things on them, which is some of the messaging that you're coming out or some of their needs yep. that they have. You can actually really ground this persona in a, in a real person and then call that persona by their name. So it really crystallizes them in the mind of your team or, or maybe a list of them, right? Oh, yes, that's Jane, the IT manager at Equicorp. I know that's who they then think about when they're writing content or when they're um, putting this stuff together, right? So I think it. whilst I talk about needs at the beginning, it really does end up being about a real person that you need to be engaging with. Well, certainly one of the things I've learned in all walks of my life is that people really learn best by stories. Absolutely. And so I think that's, yeah. this is one that really helps solidify it. And I know in the early days of persona-based marketing, we would give people, or we'd give a persona a fictitious yeah. name. You know, like Jane, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, Jane, the janitor and, <laughs> you know, uh, or, you know, and, and is there any value in doing that? Or do we want to give if is we're building out our real world example? What do we want to what's the title we want to put? For I, this, I don't this I don't, example. Um, honest, honestly, and, and maybe people have a different style and maybe there's good. It, maybe it might be a conversation for another day. But for me, I think either call them by the persona label that you're giving them or call them by a real name. I, 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 don't, I don't really buy into this, oh, it's Eddie, the executive decision maker or whatever. It just seems a little silly to me. I think if you, especially if you could... Oh, it always has to have yeah, an alliteration. <laughs> but especially if you already know a, I don't know, Claire, the, uh, like I was saying, you know, the IT manager at Acme Corp, who is an executive decision maker, that, you know, why not go with yeah. a real person? So, um, yeah, so I'm not a big, I think it, it seems a bit, um, I don't know, a bit silly to me, but I mean, I know that it works for other people. It's just not not what I tend to do. No, I think, I think um, I, one of the things that, that I've, think helps in and reason i agree with you on this is that it, it's like you're trying to get people off of yes. titles and so to label it executive decision maker yeah. or you know solution yeah. champion or you know whatever the various um you know personas you're developing is 
is better. Um, and you don't want to confuse it when you give the real work world examples, like you say, Jane, who's mm. the CFO mm. at this organization or yeah. John, who's the IT yeah. you know, director, blah, blah, blah. You, you don't want to confuse mm. things like that way. So uh, yeah. I think that makes perfect I, sense. I mean, I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be persuaded. People find it easy to remember if they give them a, a, a you know, is Eddie the executive decision maker? I, I don't feel strongly enough about it, but I just, I just wouldn't go that way myself. <laughs> yeah. So the mm-hmm. last thing we need yeah. to do before we run out of, of the uh, yeah. studio and go grab a yeah. beer or something is play a song. How are we going to play <laughs> this this topic out about how to develop personas? How are we going to play? Well, out the nice this? thing about flipping the things around, I know that sometimes I do sneakily actually choose the song and then make out that you chose it, Jeff. Is, <laughs> is I get the song. So this week I'm going to choose. If everybody looked the same by Groove Armada from 1999. Uh, for the line, which is repeated over and over, if everybody looked the same, we'd get tired of looking at each other. <laughs> and we wouldn't. We wouldn't do very good in <laughs> no. our marketing either. Uh, and are we going to see you <laughs> back in the studio? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think. I think you pay. You pay for the studio, even though it's in my house, right? So, I'll definitely. Um, and then, I'll... thank you for the trip down to <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. That was a little bit of Groove Armada. If everyone looked the same from 1999, love to hear about your approach to personas. You know where to find us. Right, time to go backstage with my guest. If you're a regular listener, you'll be familiar with Kathy McKnight, the content advisor's chief problem solver and lead analyst, who's been a regular on the show and has over 20 years of global experience and expertise in content strategy, content operations, customer experience, and related technologies. This week, we discuss a word that seems to be on the lips of every marketing technologist, composability. Welcome back, Kathy, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am well, Ian. Thanks for having me back. Hey, you're always welcome. Love chatting to you. In fact, I love the fact that we've spent the last half an hour chatting and um, before we were going to hit record. So it's always a joy to catch up with you, Kathy. <laughs> well, we need to do the catch up beforehand. Otherwise, this would become a two-hour podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So how's things with you? Things are well. It's summer has uh, hit full star- stop in Toronto, and the weather is absolutely spectacular before this stinky hot weather in July comes in. So yes. uh, all is well. My garden is gorgeous, and I have absolutely nothing to complain about. This is the best time. I mean, it's the same for us. This is the best time yes. in the garden, isn't it? Because just it, yeah. we've, if we've had a wet spring, the sun's come out, and everything's looking lovely. All right, so I didn't come to you this week for gardening advice. And oh, by the way, for people that haven't heard you on the show before, and we last chatted on episode 157, you're the chief problem solver at the content advisory, correct? That is correct. And I think people mostly have heard of the content advisory, seems as Robert is on the show every week. But <laughs> just um, give us a little intro to what it is that you do at the content advisory. So the content advisory is an all things content and content strategy. So content mm-hmm. strategy, content ops, marketing, mm-hmm marketing, content marketing, et cetera, we help companies, uh, mostly large, but sometimes small, Mm -hmm. get their hands around how to 
do content better. So from a strategy, from an operational setup, technology, um, operations, all of those things. And all uh, of the things, all of the, all of the hashtag, things. all the content things. And Robert <laughs> and I have been, have been, have been causing problems or solving problems, depending on how you look at it for, uh, for more than 10 years now together. Well, I mean, I know that Robert calls himself the chief troublemaker. So I presumably just ride behind him while he makes Correct. I just clean oh. up his mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the reason why I always have you on the show is we're always talking about marketing tech or content tech in some way and about the yep. new TLAs that come along. And we last chatted, as I mentioned, on episode 157, and we were discussing a few of the new TLAs at the time, like DXC, I think we were lambasting last time and this Hard, week, yes <laughs> and we got into did we get into trouble we didn't really get into trouble did we it was fine um but this so. week i wanted to pick your brain about this new term composability that we're hearing in marketing technology it seems to be being added to everything i mean i think last time we talked about the mac alliance and all that mac stuff but certainly com- composability seems to be a big theme right now and it doesn't seem to matter what aspect of marketing technology we're talking about, it keep, this word keeps coming up. So let me just ask you, what's your view of what composability is? What does it mean? And what's your view of it in the market at the moment? So I really like the idea of composability, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's tech, business, marketing, the idea of building something from interchangeable blocks yeah. makes sense to me. And those, I mean, those blocks, technology, a philosophy, mindset, process, in most cases, should, should probably be all of those. But building something where you can move things around, I like to think about it kind of like Lego, mm-hmm. where you can rearrange the Lego pieces, whether you want to build a house or a fire station or a bridge. Um, in reality, now that I'm saying the Lego analogy, it's probably <laughs> more like Jenga for most companies, because with Lego, the pieces stick together, right? And they stay together even when it's not built structurally sound. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Jenga, you can build this amazing tower where you're amazed that it's still standing. <laughs> and then the smallest breath will send the whole thing into a pile of rubble. And I think, you know, that's where a lot of companies are. Um, Mm. And so with composability, I think a lot of companies are able to break apart the, the, some of the pieces that they're maybe using a larger solution, monolithic solution, as we Mm -hmm. call them in our industry to more manageable components. Now that can be both good and bad, good. And that provides the flexibility. Um, You know, you can take away upgrade ad pieces, but it's also, so it can be bad if you don't have an IT team who's willing to manage, connect, and keep those pieces running, right? Because mm-hmm. like anything, now you have more seams yeah. and that just makes it less integral. Yeah. So as long as you're keeping up and making sure those seams are tight, it's a good thing. And I think it's providing companies some relief of the either or situation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, um, I like that. I like that analogy used of Jenga because the other analogy I keep hearing around um, building these stacks, and you and I have been around this industry for quite a while, and it hasn't always been called, called composability, uh, is like the Franken stack. Right? So this is just this <laughs> yeah. out of control thing that's yeah. loosely tied together and is now storming through the village. So, um, but so what's what's your how how what's your view then on how you build? The Lego analogy, which sounds nice and perfect and what everybody would describe as what we need to do and avoid sort of Frankenstack Jenga model. What sorts of things do we need to look out for there? 
So with the with the Lego analogy rather uh-huh. than the, the the Frankenstack, which I had forgotten that term. I love that <laughs> term when it came out. Uh, I think what it does is we used to talk about it was either or. It was either best of breed or it was a monolithic solution, yeah. right? And to me, composability brings the best of those two worlds together. We talked about the TLA, the three-letter acronym DXP, yeah. and how it's really an industry term. It isn't that there's one solution that can claim to be an end-to-end DXP. Right. Um, I think the term DXP was a way for vendors to move away from the monolith handle, yeah, right? Yeah. So that they, you know, here's our DXP. You know, it's not this big end-to-end where they're not even talking suites anymore, right? They're <laughs> yeah. talking about this this platform. And yeah. composability enables organizations to embra- em- embrace both the best of breed and monolithic because it's about rather than pitting those two against each other, it's about building the stack that best fits for that organization. So that can include something that's traditionally be considered something like a monolith, like an Adobe or a Sitecore, or, or even, you know, now these days, I think Bloomreach is considered that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and with composability, you can keep the part of the stack the way it is that's making sense and make it a blend of big, medium and point solutions. Mm. So it's, it's, like a really, I think it's a really nice way for organizations to push back and say, listen, I have choice and I can build a stack any way I want that makes sense for us in our organization. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, though, to me, I mean, a lot of these t- t- topics that we talk about are very, you need to be relatively tech savvy with this stuff. Um, so do you think that for people to take this route of, of a composable solution and building their own stack out of Lego, not Jenga, um, do you think that that means that you need to have a strong technical team or technical capability in the marketing team in order to, to deliver on this? I think you do. I think that yeah. that role of the marketing technologists that we've talked about forever, we used to call mm. them unicorns. I don't think they're <laughs> unicorns anymore. I think yeah. more and more especially with the generation coming into organizations, they are technology natives. They don't know how to do anything without yeah. like hand them a pencil. They'll be confused. No offense. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but honestly, you know, yeah. the number of, the number of, of that, of the generation probably two behind us, Ian, um, <laughs> that are coming through that really aren't comfortable writing, right? Everything is done on a keyboard and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, yeah. it's just a different way. Um, so I think from from that perspective, I think you do need, we always counsel, you know, when you're, when we're building a governance structure for an organization and an ops team is you want to have somebody within the marketing ops, the content ops team, who is technology versant, who are comfortable yeah. with technology, who are interested in technology. You can't ask somebody to keep tabs on tech if they're not interested in it. Yeah. If they only want to use it and like do their thing, peace out. So they should, but don't put them in charge of it because they're not going to keep up on trends. They're not going to look at what's coming down the pipe from an upgrade perspective or from Mm -hmm. the next iteration or what's new on the market. And you need somebody, we think, on the on the marketing content side of things who has that interest so that they can interact with the IT group. Um, So to your question, do you need strong IT? 100 Mm percent. That IT does not have to be in-house. If you have a really good partner by all means, rely on them, right? And sometimes it works better because they're engaged with the marketing team only, right? So it's their sort of resource and they're not being split 47 different ways across the organization. But you absolutely, in in this composable world, you have to have somebody at least one, if not two, like one on the IT side, and as I said, one on the business side, yeah. 
who, who understand technology and are keeping tabs on it because it's changing so quickly. There's so many solutions. We've seen it happen across the board with content mark with the content management, with digital asset management, marketing automation platform. They mm-hmm. come out and it's the thing. It's the CMS. And yeah. then these smaller solutions that do bits and pieces of it. And sometimes that's all you need, but you need to be able to understand what you're looking for and where to find it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it sounds to me, Kathy, like this is something you've seen a lot of in your clients, right? Is, is, is getting that, getting those skills right and getting that implementation, right? Is that, yeah, is that absolutely. something you often see? We do. Um, yeah. We used to, we used to get a lot of calls and it would be, we need a new insert acronym mm-hmm. here, right? We mm-hmm. need a new CMS. We need yeah. a new digital asset management system. We need yeah. a new marketing automation platform. And now the conversations that we're having with our clients is we have all of this technology. We have this massive stack or not, mm-hmm. and we don't know what we have. So before we yes. go out and buy something new, help us understand what we have. And if they're not asking the question, we go in and ask the question yeah. because often as we're doing strategic plans, operational plans, building governance models, those kind of things, we're look at technology is an integral part of delivering that. So we're asking their questions. We're looking at their stack. We're, we're getting them sometimes for the first time to look yeah. and actually see how their current technology is actually connected, mm. um, connected, what points are connected and what they're not using. Like, they're all I haven't I can't think of a client who hasn't been surprised but it's like we have that capability (laughs) not only do you have that capability you have it across three different solutions (laughs) you'll pick one and go with it right oh my god you I mean um yeah and by the way uh for the listeners your reference there to um to our ages it's your birthday today that when we're recording this happy birthday Kathy and um and also discovered that uh, you can say what you like about our age we both know that we're the same age so. <laughs> right. and remember but, we're not getting that many years old we're getting to the next level next right level. we're leveling up <laughs> like a game so we're winning. i digress because and also the reason why i made that reference i've known you so long that i think that you're second guessing my next question because that's it i mean i, I did send you some notes but i didn't i did the the the, net, the thing that came out when you were talking just then was was abs- absolutely that point is when you do because we didn't we didn't prepare tech audits in the notes. Um, but when you do those tech audits, do, that's what I was wondering, whether what you found, because there's such a reputation for MarTech buyers to overbuy, to not really know what they have, yeah. and then find they've got duplicate of the same thing that they're not using. So your story was perfect. So, And is that still the experience that you're, you've got? It really is. And mm-hmm. and that is, um, you know, it, it happens sometimes unintentionally. There's so much M&A, uh, yeah, merger yeah. and acquisition activity going on yeah. that you acquire an organization and, you know, they end up with, you know, the acquiring organization already had two of, you know, insert technology here. Mm-hmm. And now they've acquired an organization that has three of them. So now you have five <laughs> and they're all being used different ways by different teams. And, and you know, my heart goes out. I personally have been through... Uh, for acquisition um, situations, yeah. and it's 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 a disaster. It, it every single time technology is like the last thing, and marketing technology is the last last thing that they're looking mm. at, right? So it's that mm. consolidation and really understanding. Um, Scott Brinker does a great. I mean, he does. It's eleven thousand and something this year. His yeah. his his uh, Martech landscape, but he does these stacky awards where yeah. people build a visual. Um, representation of their marketing stack. And I think every organization 
should go through that. Go and look at Scott Brinker's, the MarTech uh, Stacky Awards. And it really, you know, you dig in and not only do you find out what you have, you find out what you're not using and where it's not connected. And I think, you know, we often recommend, we, we, we often recommend a skills and capability audit, but we often recommend a technology audit. Just Mm -hmm. get a list and don't just rely on it. Go out and talk to the stakeholders. What are you using? Because you know what? There's also a ton of (laughs) solutions that they've decided to pay out of their pocket, the $35.99 a month, because it's just easier. And that's what they're using. So it's not even sanctioned. Yeah, yeah. Yet it spreads like wildfire. So, yeah, that was also a point I was just about to make. I'm not really sure why I'm here, Kathy. To be honest with you, <laughs> your second exactly that. I mean, when you and that was what I was going to ask you is when you do these audits, you find there's a whole bunch of stuff, and people are like, "Oh, and I've got one of these over here that I put on my credit card or this." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> oh, this is brilliant, Kathy. Um, so. <laughs> So we, we, you, you, your recommendations, we do the marketing audits. One of the things I've heard as well, and, and I don't think we've talked about any of your case studies, but I've also heard that by doing that, actually, you can drive a lot of savings, can't you? You can actually fund more technology if you need it um, yeah. by doing that, right, and cutting back on some of the things that we need. Now, and I've got, I mean, you talk about acquisitions there. We're a highly acquisitive company in my day job. And, yes. uh, and we're now bringing together all the marketing teams. and. Um, we have four CRMs, <laughs> so and one of them is home built. So it happens to the best of us. Um, we're yes. um, and we're a uh, and we're only like a three hundred person company. So if you're a much larger company, then I can imagine that must be a challenge. So I want to go back. Uh, I want to get us back on track, actually, to what I wanted. <laughs> no, actually, we were on track. I love it. Um, but you mentioned best of breed and monolithic back there, and this may be just for the old timers like us. What's the difference between composability and what we've always discussed, which is the tension between best of breed and monolithic? You mentioned monolithic earlier. Is it different to that or is it the same? So I, I think, as I mentioned, the the um, composability mm-hmm. is an enablement of truly a best of breed approach best of breed and monolithic were always pitted against each other right you were either best of breed or you were monolithic which was crap from the beginning because (laughs) you know there was nothing that said you had to be one or the other but that's how each of the solutions pitted themselves so you looked at some of the big names that i mentioned earlier some of the smaller names which are now big names which you know have moved away from the best of breed but i think what composability does is really enable the organization Mm -hmm. the companies to say I'm going to use this for this yep. and it could be the big. So you could be using, you know, four out of six pieces of a suite okay. and then I'm going to plug in these pieces. Yeah. And with APIs and, and this interoperability that most tech is now built with, they've mm-hmm. had no choice. Mm-hmm. The monolithics have had to come along and be connected and be connective yeah. Yeah. through APIs and whatnot. Some of them resisted and they finally broke down and they didn't have a choice. Yeah. It's, it's really made it truly composable um mm. where you can pick the pieces what are the lego pieces that you want blue red yeah. big small 5.8.12. rounds you know it doesn't matter mm. um and put them together but you've got to have a map That's... you know you've got to you got to look at your requirements and not just piece things together because you have them yes. requirements good lord we could talk about the requirements for a while for, for sure so um Yes, but and I think that the market has spoken, hasn't it, about the opening up of these these monoliths, as you were saying. Yeah. Everybody now has to be headless. Everybody needs to have an API set, and everybody needs to. Play. Oh, don't get me on headless. 
I think I'm, <laughs> have I not got you on headless before? That'd be. I think you have. I think we've had that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I was going to ask you um, whether this is an, an approach you recommend to your clients, but clearly, I think it sounds like you do. Um, but what about for the vendors, marketers, uh, I guess, folks like me? What, what should we be considering um, about this, about, um, about, about this whole topic? Is this, is this something that's um, just in the IT community or do you think everybody now gets it from a marketing community and we now need to be talking about being, compo- being composable? Yeah, I think most marketers and, and certainly technologists understand the concept of composability because even when we talk about composability we talk about it now beyond technology we talk Mm. about composable content so when robert and i go in and work with organizations we talk about getting their mindset away from starting with the finished asset Uh to stepping back to components of Mm. content so what Mm. are all the pieces that you need to create Mm-hmm. initially to build that final asset. Yeah. So again, making it interchangeable, right? Having all of these different things that you can then use differently mm-hmm. outside of the final destination asset. Well, it's the same thing from a technology perspective. I think the vendors, the 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 tech vendors that are doing it right are going in and asking those questions. They're going in and, and talking to, not that they ever do because, and I, <laughs> you know what? All all tech salespeople, feel free to send me hate mail. They go in, they're a hammer, everything's a nail, and it's always yeah. the right fit, right? Um, which is incredibly frustrating when you're sitting on the other side of the table with a client trying to facilitate a good conversation about meeting needs and, and business needs as well, stakeholder needs. And anyways, again, mm-hmm. whole other conversation. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think leaning into it and knowing mm. where they can fit their solution in mm is really good because if you go in and say, Hey, listen, you've got, you know, our tech does five things. You have two of them already that are working just fine. Mm. So let us service you on the other three as your, as their wedge entry. And then you wiggle your way into bumping yeah. out the other two, if you're yeah. good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to eat the entire marshmallow right no. away. <laughs> I, I think that and I, I'm on that side of the fence. Right. So I completely agree with you. Beachhead products, trials, freemiums, you know, product-led growth, all of that stuff. Get in yeah. there and then expand. Love it. All right. And I'm, um, I'm going to get to our last question. Now, normally, as you know, to my guests, I normally ask my guests for a nomination for the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to hell for all the things that my guests don't like about marketing, basically, all the overhyped trends and stuff like that. But what I want to ask you as my tech correspondent is, oh i like that is, i'm gonna add that to my title is, is, and and by the way there are about three topics that have come up in this conversation i need to have you back to talk about including that componentized content thing but um why is it so many of my guests chuck marketing technology into swim pool even people that work for marketing technology vendors what's the problem with marketers and their technology at the moment and I'm going to have to ask you, ask you to answer that quite quickly. I know, because we're probably right at 20 minutes, right? So <laughs> I, I think because it's really easy to blame the technology because nobody fully understands it. So, right. and it's easy. Oh, it's the technology. We'll throw it out and get something in, yeah, else yeah. in, right? So it's yeah. easier to replace. Yeah. It is much harder to be introspective and look at your operations and your processes, which is exactly what people should be doing. You need to understand the work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. how it's actually being done. Yeah. what technology you have in place to enable that and then map your process to the technology, not the other way around. Love it. What happens is companies are constantly customizing mm-hmm. and not implementing, but customizing. So they're essentially, you know, 
going outside of the mold mm. to fit their process when it should be the other way around. Yeah. The marketing automation solution told me to do it this way. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. And I hate it. Well, that might not be the problem, right? It's you, not them. I love it. It'd be even worse when we're all governed by our AI overlords, won't it, Kathy? We'll have to oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> that's four. I think I've counted five, actually, topics yeah. we need to get you back on. So Anytime. I would love to have you back, Kathy. So let's uh, let's schedule that in a in a few more weeks. I'll leave, I'll leave it less long than last time. Um, <laughs> okay. But when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, so our website is content, no the, so contentadvisory.net. I am at Kathy McKnight on most of the socials, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, I have my own little podcast, not yes. little, my own podcast. We're, we're <laughs> a year into it now um, called Uncharted Journeys, uh, where I get to speak with some amazing women about their career journeys, not all in content, but some in most in content marketing. Um, and I've met some amazing people. So I would love for people to come out and listen to that and let me know what they think. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'm one of your biggest fans. And I'm not a woman, but uh, I, that's I think okay. it's, it's a great show. And I love the stories and the things we could all learn uh, from those careers of the women that you speak to. So I will add a link to that also in the show notes. So thank you very thank much, you. Kathy. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. And All happy right. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, Kathy. Always a pleasure. And I will, of course, include all of Kathy's links in the show notes. Please check her out. Check out her work and please say hello. Right. It's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join Kathy's colleague, my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker of the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a heck of a week. Um, summer has definitely broken here, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not sure. I mean, well, I think one of the things that we have to take into account for this week is one of my favorite events that happens uh, in uh, in jolly old England, um, <laughs> which is the Wimbledon Championships. Um, yes have begun so in celebration uh, uh-huh. of of Wimbledon yes. um, we are going to have some Pim's cups oh nice um, yes uh, which you will be of course very familiar with but uh, yes. but um, uh, being English yes. um, but many people may not be um, yes. which is basically a, a fruit cup with alcohol um, yes. is is really the best way to describe it. So uh, we will be having Pim's Cups. Um, mm-hmm. And so the way you make a Pim's Cup, of course, is Pim's number one, which is a very, I guess, special liqueur of gin and herbal infused goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe, I believe it to be a proper Pim's Cup. It has to be Pim's. Yes. Um, there are other competitors out there. Yes. Um, and uh, you probably know many of them. There, there are probably shelves full of, of competitors out there. Um, but if you take your one and a half parts PIMS, um, then you have a little bit of eh, really four parts, you know, enough to, enough to put in there, uh, either lemon water, lemon soda water, lemon sparkling water, basically that kind of thing. And then yes. we start putting the fruit in mm-hmm. and then we've got, uh, some orange, we've got a little lemon, 
We've got some mint leaves. We've got a cucumber because, of course, nothing English would be complete without a complete <laughs> cucumber. Um, and then we pour that, all of that over ice. Uh, and if you really want to get into it, you have an apple, of course, in there. An apple. Um, and so you put all that together and you have yourself a Pim's <laughs> cup, which is absolutely delightful to drink um, and celebrate Wimbledon. Yes, I like that. And I hadn't even appreciated the Wimbledon has started, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. It's even, I mean, and that isn't even you knowing the date when this goes out, because it's actually going to go out tomorrow. So Wimbledon is going on today. So it shows my grasp of British culture. <laughs> there we, there we have it. Yeah. Wimbledon's kicked off. So that's fantastic. And um, so a Pim's Cup. Now then, as a true Englishman, um, you caught me on the hop, um, and I should really have. Um, I only know Pim's as a make of whatever that is. So it's I don't know what I don't know what it actually is, but obviously it's going to have ice in it. So I've got some ice. Got oh some yes, ice indeed. In and then I'm going to go for the most English of um, pims. <laughs> I'm going to slung in some gin because I think I think the gin is a very good um, uh, substitute for bim, pims if you don't have pims on your desktop bar. Of course. And yes. then the nice... You could infuse there are a few really nicely infused gins that would really? be alternatives to Pims. Really? Um but I don't you know, I mean there are as many gins in true. your part of the world as there are beers in mine, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, no, absolutely. Well we've got quite a lot of beers now as well, so yes. Well and, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, oh, are they uh and, but the nice thing here is, is that uh, I agree with you. I mean, a nice big fruit salad in your drink. There's nothing better than that. I wouldn't imagine That's right. on a summer's day. It's kind of the opposite of a Bloody Mary, which is really a vegetable bowl <laughs> for your drink. This is really a fruit bowl well, for your drink. Well, the thing is, with Bloody Mary, it's not a dessert, is it? It's breakfast. So um... that's yes, exactly. Good point. Yes. So Fair I, sh- point. I, I've just sloshed into mine because um, the good people over at Fever Tree who don't sponsor this show have uh, already infused their tonic water with a number of the ingredients you refer to here. But the one I've picked is the cucumber tonic water, so I'm going to give this a try. Ah, there we go. Mm. Well, I enjoy a bit of the tennis. I think this works. This is yes. very refreshing. Thank you very much, Robert. This is beautiful. And I, I hope, I mean, the weather hasn't been, has been a bit showery today, so hopefully the weather is glorious when we're in Wimbledon. But in between us watching um, back and forth balls being played... Uh, and a conversation turns to marketing. Oh, are we in Wimbledon, by the way? We are, are we? I forgot to ask you where we're going. We are, indeed. No, no, that would <laughs> okay. be the place. That would be the place I would suggest we go, yes. Is, uh, it's probably the best is, place to watch Wimbledon. It's north, yes. It's, it's, the, it's the north. I mean, it's still considered technically London, but no, very no, much No, no, Wimbledon north. is actually in southwest London. It's uh, Southwest London. Yeah, it's I, not, always, I always get that geography wrong. It's not very... Uh, well, I, I actually lived in Wimbledon for a little while, and it's not very far from the... Uh, south, you know, the, the where I come from, which is West London and the Chelsea area, and it's a little bit further out than that. So it's yes, it's jolly nice down there. In fact, my father-in-law lives down there, so it's uh, it's jolly nice. Anyway, that's enough about Wimbledon. It's beautiful. So we're in Wimbledon. I presume the the ball game watching that we were doing, showing my grass of tennis there. Uh, in between times, uh, and and these drinks, thoughts turn to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? Well, I thought it would be the perfect time for us as we watch tennis yes. um, from a very privileged location, drinking Pimm's oh. Cups, um, to talk about the economy. And and here we are uh, 
really halfway through, I mean, almost to the day, mm-hmm. uh, halfway through 2023, we've finished the second quarter. So we're all about to begin the third and fourth quarter, uh, of our, you know, of our respective years to get through the second half of 2023. And it's just very weird. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it, where there seems to be a lot of uncertainty about where the economy is. And I'm not here to make a comment. I'm certainly no financial or economic analyst. <laughs> um, but what I can comment on, and I think what we would be discussing, is where we're seeing marketing in this particular uh, in this particular atmosphere, I guess. And when we look at all of the news, it's very confusing, right? Where some are saying, hey, there's going to be a slowing of budget growth in advertising and marketing in the coming months. There's going to be an increase in advertising. It's going to grow more slowly or no, it's going to actually, there's going to be more investment. You know, for example, Gartner's CMO spend survey, they found that budgets are going to be flat for 2023. However, our own CMI uh, B2B research, well, we reported that basically half of marketers expect their content marketing budgets anyway to increase. So my question was always, can all of these things be true at the same time, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. And, And it's one of those things where you say, okay, all the th- what are all the things that you know we're really talking about here, right? And so it, it's everything from okay, can content marketing budgets be up, but advertising be down? Can marketing budgets also be up or or flat? You know, while all of these things, and I think it's true. I think what we're seeing, and this is anecdotal, I guess at mm-hmm. best, is one of the things. And we talked a little bit about this in in, in our content tech event, uh, uh, which happened a couple of weeks ago which is that one of the things that we're seeing is this great uncertainty. And when we see this great uncertainty, we see a lot of inaction in marketing, right? A lot of, well, let's just do the basics. Let's just, let's really tighten down, tighten the ship, mm-hmm. right? Tighten the, tighten everything. Yeah. And I was, I was fascinated with, because there was a, a study from a company that, uh, both you and I know Optimizely, mm. um, which of course was Optimizely and Episerver, and now is yeah. Episerver plus Optimizely plus a number of other things. Yeah. Um, and they did a research and they looked at marketing budgets. And one of the things that they looked at was their the the, the fact that marketers, seventy two percent of them, in fact, according to their research, don't feel feel like their technology or their processes are functioning as seamlessly as they should. Um, and the reason is, is because they feel this level of inaction around making sound investments because there's just so much choice out there. In other words, there's so much to pay attention to. It's like, it's really hard to figure out what the right thing to do is. And whenever we see that, and again, this is anecdotal at best, it's not a commentary on technology or the right campaign or the right creative. It's basically the absence or an ill-informed process. In other words, we don't have the process or the uh, or, or we have a, a wrongly designed process around what we should do in this kind of, um, you know, the actions we should be taking in this kind of environment. Mm. And, and so our advice, my advice, what we've been, what we've been talking to clients about is, you know, we use the, uh, 
we use the analogy of sailing, right? Because I'm a sailor um, and was taught sailing. And I think it's a great analogy for this because whenever you're sailing, you know, the fastest and most exciting way to sail is to go tacking into the wind, right? Yeah, where you, yeah. where you're tacking up to your destination and it's exhilarating and it's fun, but it also, by the way, requires the most work. It's hard. You know, you're active all the time. You're working all the time. You're looking out, you're seeing what's going on, but it's also the most, ironically, the most comfortable ride for people because you're, you're going through the waves instead mm-hmm. of up and over the waves. And so when the winds become hard to figure out, in other words, when you can't figure out exactly where the wind is coming from, it's easy in sailing to sort of point your boat too close into the wind, right? Yeah. And you can end up in irons, which call, which means was when your nose is pointing directly into the wind and you stop, you come to a full stop yeah. and the yeah. waves start taking your boat and you can't really get going again. And it can be really difficult to get moving again yes. once yeah. you've, once you've done that. And so the, the, the metaphor, not to belabor it, but the metaphor in sailing is the thing to do when you can't figure it out is to ease the sails, basically to ease your sails and move into the wind as much as you can to optimize your speed and your ongoing momentum, perhaps sacrificing some of your original goals and objectives. In other words, moving and moving quickly for a more comfortable ride and for a more expeditious ride, but maybe moving off of some of the goals and objectives that you started the year with. And I think it's a great metaphor for where we are at the beginning of the third quarter here as we start thinking about what we're going to do. I think marketers just need to really start to ease their sales a little bit and start moving and making actions and really doing things because it's a lot easier to navigate when you do that rather than when you're sitting in irons and not doing anything and getting and trying to get going again yeah that's a great analogy and and i didn't know that about you that you're a sailor and i was i was taught sailing when i was when i was young as well and unfortunately i'm really seasick but i i uh, i I learned that too and you're right you're absolutely right i mean you get it wrong and you're sitting bobbing up and down at the whim of the of the uh of the waves um and it's very uncomfortable but once you once you get running you it's you're singing along aren't you and it's fantastic it's a fantastic feeling um but you might be heading in the wrong direction but you're yeah, that's right or, <laughs> or heading in tap. no direction at all right yeah yeah, yeah. but but uh, yes uh, i love that i love that analogy i love the love the idea that um so is that what you're seeing right now is the uncertainty because when i mean i you know you know you know me i represent uh, um vendors um marketing technology vendors so would you say and you're on the the, um, consulting side would you say that this activity is that you are seeing more um more people say not now or no but because of inaction rather than competitive force that they're just like "I, i can't commit to this now i think there's two things we're seeing um and by the way it's not just us we've been we've been calling around as it were (laughs) to agencies, consulting firms, yeah. and big and small, right? So yeah, yeah. everybody from yeah. large consulting firms, big global consulting firms, to smaller yeah. boutique agencies that are very niche-focused, like yeah. what we do. Yeah. And we're seeing a very similar pattern. And, this, and we're seeing, by the way, this uh, the reason I bring up technology is because we're seeing it, you know, the technology companies are reporting us to the same thing, which is, mm. and then the, t- the, so the two underlying sentiments right now that we're seeing is one exactly what you said right sort of a uh 
a unease or dis-ease, if you will, around where things are. Mm-hmm. And so there's a fear of moving in the wrong direction. Right, right. And so it's a kind of a, hey, let's just take a pause and see where we are and take care of our basics and look at what we're doing and, you know, really just we know this works, so let's just do that. And, 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 right. and it's the, it's the, cl- the, I mean, literally the closest thing I can find is you're, they're going into irons, right? They're yeah, going yeah. literally, they're pointing their nose directly into the, in the face of the wind yeah. and saying, let's just, let's just sit here for a while and see if, that's going to work. Yeah. The second thing, which is a little more, I don't excusable is not the right word, but you'll know what I mean, which is the, this, the second reason that we're starting to hear is because there's sort of a fatigue around digital transformation. Um, and we came out of 2021, 2022, and everybody was like, you know, hair on fire, push the red button. We need to figure out what we're doing. We need to change. We need to sort out our thing yeah. where, you know, that huge 2020 digital transformation project got put on hold with COVID. Now let's ramp it. You know, we've got to, we've got to ramp it into gear and it's a bit of, there's been so much change for many organizations over the last yeah. two years that everybody's like, okay, let, yeah, let's yeah. just stop a minute and, and, <laughs> and figure out where we actually are. Yeah. And, that one I get, right? That one I understand uh, a, a bit more. Um, however, what I see that turning into is a level of, you know, again, stasis, right? Where yes. instead of moving somewhere, we're stopping everything, right? Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, well, let's not stop everything. Let's mm. figure out what we need to do to keep moving yeah. um, as we sort of take a break maybe from some of the, you know, enterprise-wide transformation initiatives that that have sort of either either been put on you know a phase 1b or a phase 2 or yeah. we're still trying to figure out well the, the I, I love this i love this sailing analogy because we could take it all sorts of places because the thing is you're not you know you're on the same lake as everybody else and there are other people who, are, who have decided to tack and and are moving ahead of you sitting still is just not an option and um, we had, you know, I've, I've had budgetary conversations recently and it's like, well, we're going to look and lean this out in Q4. And I'm like, well, that what's that going to do for your Q1 and your Q2? You know, you've got to. If we, exactly. You, you, exactly. We need to keep momentum. We need to keep going and, and brave our way through it. But the other th- the thing I liked about your sailing analogy is when you're say I, I don't know what kind of boats you were thinking of, but, you know, if you're sailing dinghies or you're sailing um, catamarans, or whatever, you're you're. You, you, when you're when you're really moving, you're kind of out of the water, aren't you? And the minimum amount of the boat is in the water, and you're streaming along, but you're very, very close to capsizing, aren't you? And that, and it's keeping that balance, isn't it? And I think it's the fear of capsizing at the moment. If I if I can really wring everything out of this analogy, I possibly can. That people have right, they want to, they don't want to get their boat up and going, do they? Because they're worried it will tip yeah, over. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's <laughs> some of that. I think, I think I might. Yes, and that observation by saying, I'm not sure it's a fear of moving too fast and capsizing or uh-huh. over overcorrecting. Yeah. I think the fear that I see is in order to move the boat, they have to be a little more unsure of the direction, right? Yes. In other yeah. words, in order to ease the sails into the wind, they're going to have to go a little astray of their original yeah. um, destination or, or, you know, or, or course. Mm-hmm. And so it's that fear that, well, how, if I do that, am I going to mess up my original goals? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, if I'm going to mess up my original uh, uh, objectives. And what we find is that actually moving, you know, even if it's a little bit Mm -hmm. off of your original course is better than sitting there and not moving at all toward any course. And so basically it, it means that the goals and objectives may change and we've got to be a little more flexible about where we're going mm-hmm. because we do need to move, right? Yeah. We do, you know, to the point, to your point, we do need to move because others will, yeah. uh, others around us will move. <laughs> and so it's just, a, it's the halfway part of the year. So it's a great reflection point to say, Hey, the original goals we had in 2023, mm-hmm. you know, at late 2022, aren't coming to fruition. We thought we, you know, we bolted down the hatches with our marketing budget. We really, you know, put the clamp on hiring because, you know, everybody, yeah. the story was everybody overhired, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, now we've done so much of that over mm. the last two quarters that we're kind of not doing anything except that, right? Yeah. yeah. And so what, what should we be doing now? It's a yeah. great, it's just a great time to I press the reset button, I think. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So if uh, if people are considering pressing the reset button and they're looking for either tips on on sailing or how to how to move forward, where where might they find those, Robert? Well, they'll find <laughs> us they'll find us on our, our wonderful um, little website, which is contentadvisory.net. Uh-huh. Um, I I have been on record of late saying I'm not happy with my <laughs> website it. at all, but, <laughs> and it is, we are, we have, so speaking of resets, we have, my colleague and I have put in a, we are starting the project. We are going right. to reset our website. So it, it is, it is currently, uh, behind the scenes, of course, you can still find all of our wonderful content there, but, yes. but behind the scenes, we are working like little, nice. you know, little sparrows as it were building a new nest. Nice. Brilliant. And um, yes, I should, um, because of the way that I edit and record the show, um, you, you, I hadn't shared with you that actually Kathy is, was on this show. <laughs> so, so we've got another little TCA takeover this week. So um, yeah, I was chatting to Kathy about it. And the other thing is, coincidentally, when I recorded the interview with Kathy, it was her birthday. And this week, it's been your birthday. So happy birthday, mate. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate and, that. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to well, they want to find out what you're thinking or wish you happy birthday, where they're going to find you. Well, they'll find me on LinkedIn primarily where yes. I'm, you know, engaging and having a grand old time uh, on that <laughs> social media platform. And then I would invite everybody to subscribe to our little podcast, which is called This Old Marketing. Nice. And uh, Experience Advisors, you've now moved over to Substack? We have, yes. Experience Advisors, um, mm. thank you for that. I am I, remiss in sending you a new link to set up because we have now moved I'm over on. to Substack. We've created a Substack, Substack where people can go and comment and, mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, uh, that is now underway. So I need mm-hmm. to send you a new link for that too. Oh, I'll include the link. I'm, I'm, I've signed up. I'm on the Substack, man. I'm, I'm right with you. I'm standing next to you. <laughs> well, I mean, if, you, if you're going to be so kind as to share a link for others, they need a way to, su- to subscribe. I yeah, I will. Thank you very much, mate. And yeah. most importantly, will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. Splendid. I'll see you then, mate. Thank you very much. Love that sailing energy. I think I might use more of that. 
So that's a wrap on episode 173 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Kathy, and Robert for sharing their experience. You can find all their links in the show notes along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes on rockstarcmo.com. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your podcast app or (laughs) just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the studio. We have another returning guest, Matthew Woodget from Go Narrative, an author of Storytelling for Action. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.